Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. This is SportsCenter at 6. Roger Goodell signs a five-year contract extension that could be worth $200 million. Adam Schefter on how the deal got done and league-wide reaction. Steph out. Draymond questionable. Can KD even stay on the court? Jalen Rose on the sudden surge in all-star ejections. And while the Cavs set their sights on 13 straight wins, why LeBron isn't satisfied yet. This is December, I'm at 80. So January, I'll be at 85. Plus, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper Jr. on Josh Rosen's rise to the top of the QB draft class. It's a good-looking uniform. It's a good-looking uniform. And now, here's Michael Smith and Jamel Hill. And now, your 6 at 6 coming up. We'll give you the latest on how both the Rams and UCLA have had to change their plans because of the California wildfires. And, of course, our thoughts are with the thousands who have been affected. Stay safe, everybody. But we start today's show with Roger Goodell's new deal. As you heard my man say, five years through 2024, potentially worth $40 million per, although most of the commissioner's compensation will be based on performance incentives. In a letter to their fellow owners, the compensation committee recommended they put this baby to bed now to avoid further controversy. And that's the thing, Jamel. Goodell gets his money, but it comes at a price. This negotiation got very public, quite contentious in many respects. Uh, you're talking about perhaps damage to his ability to maybe function effectively. I know Arthur Blank, who told the Monday morning quarterback he feels rather relieved that this is all over. They're talking about open lines of communication with the commissioner, or more open lines, I should say. But there's work to be done when it comes to repairing relationships between ownership and the league office, clearly. Yeah, it is. And with that, we bring in uh, Adam Schefter, who, of course, has been following this story. Uh, let's take a deeper dive into this and piggyback off of what Mike said. It was a lot of bad blood that seemed to be spilled throughout this negotiation. So does this new deal and the, quote, nearly unanimous support, that was the wording that was used in the letter uh, by the committee, does that mean everything is all good between Goodell and the owners, maybe Sands, Jerry Jones? Good enough right now, Jamel. And listen, when they had meetings in New York last week, compensation committee, and Jerry Jones was there, it was cordial between the two of them. But that nearly word that you bring up in that release where the letter from the compensation committee that went out to fellow owners today, nearly unanimous. Now, usually when we're talking about significant NFL matters, there is usually unanimous support. In this case, it was nearly unanimous. We all know what that nearly word means. And essentially, this had gone on so long, it was the most public of negotiations for a commissioner in the history of sports. There never have been more details about a person's contract that have gotten out than Roger Goodell's contract. And I think the league recognized it wasn't good for anybody. Jerry Jones wanted to see what he could do to slow down this deal or at least alter the terms of the contract. And I think also there's the chance that the league office could be affected in the Mm -hmm. future. But the bottom line is the league can move on to other business, and there's plenty enough other business for this league to do. Goodell's contract is done. 85% of the total compensation from bonuses subject to uh, approval and validation, as you reported. But that's the thing. It's not just Jerry Jones versus Roger Goodell. All the dirty laundry that was aired, 
a lot of things stink when it comes to the league office as far as ownership is concerned. But Adam, stand by. We got player versus the league. So during a conference call uh, with reporters on Wednesday, so Troy Vincent, the league's executive vice president of football ops, said the league will discuss the possibility of adding a targeting rule that will require mandatory ejections for players who hit defenseless opponents above the shoulder. Jamel, I know you hate the targeting rule in college. I do. I think there needs to be at least a replay in the NFL because it's a 15-yard penalty. It's a game-changing penalty. The replay part, the reviewable part, needs to be amended. My issue with the college rule is the consequences. It's the ejections. So as long as the league's not talking about kicking people out in the first half, we could have something perhaps. Bobby Wagner's like, nah, don't bring that college rule to the pros. I hear you. Mike Mitchell, though, clearly fed up over the league's overturned one-game suspension of George Aloka and upheld suspension for Juju Smith-Schuster. And just the overall direction of the game when it comes to regulating hard hits. Mike Mitchell, Steelers safety, coming out hard. Man, I don't know, man. They, man, just hand us all some flags. Hand us all some flags and let us go out there and try to grab the flags off. Uh, because we're not playing football. This is not damn football. When I, when I was six years old watching uh, Charles Woodson, Rod Woodson, um, that Sean Taylor, the, the hitters, Jack Tatum, you know, that's football. This, is, this ain't football. You got to know what the risk is when you sign up. No one wants to be paralyzed. No one wants to have head injuries. These are all things that are negative. But let's not try to turn football into a dangerous, uh, barbaric game. This is how I've changed my family legacy. Uh, before I got drafted, I had $368 to my bank account. That is far from the case today. I've changed my family legacy by this beautiful game of football uh, for forever. So let's not try to turn it into a, some evil, dirty game. It's football. It's no different than UFC fighting. This is a combat, contact sport. Uh, there's going to be injuries. Um, that's just what it is. But if you, if you don't want to get injured, then don't come out here. This is for real men. This is a man's game. Ray Lewis said that a couple years ago. I stand by that. It's a man's game. If you want to be a little kid, you don't want to get your ass hit, then don't come out here because this is for grown men. Now, Adam, he's not all the way wrong. No, he's not. And a lot of players feel like he does, even though there's another player who has the opposite opinion whose comments we'll get to in, in a moment. But as Mike said, I hate the targeting rule in college because I still think it's a rule based off intent, which you can't judge. But with all that being said, Adam, how realistic is it that the NFL adopts a targeting rule similar to college? Well, this is something that the competition committee is going to talk about this offseason, Jamel. And if we go back to last offseason, the competition committee made flagrant hits, a point of emphasis. And now we've seen 10 players suspended this year. This is another rule they're going to get into. And the replay is the key part of this, where in-game the officials could review the hit and determine with the assistance of the league office in New York whether or not a hit is objectionable, just like the college game. You don't like it in the college game. A lot of other people don't like it in the college game. You saw the Bobby Wagner tweet. It would not be highly popular. But the league right now is trying to find a level of consistency that it could bring to the game to avoid the flagrant hits to the defenseless players in the head and neck position. And if replay can help solve them do it and avoid some of these controversies that have come up throughout this season, then the competition committee and the league would be in favor of it. Yeah, I do wonder, though, if this wasn't a Monday night game, a showcase game. 100%. I wonder if we even have a new Everybody's conversation. Everybody's emotional. Adam and I talked about it yesterday. You got Gronk doing a WWE move on Sunday. Everybody got emotional, talked about how brutal Bengal Steelers was. And I think Mike Mitchell is, is still upset when you see Juju Smith-Schuster and George Haloka get the same penalty as Gronk. So ultimately, that, that C word you use, consistency. Consistency when it comes yep. to applying discipline is probably what's most important here. Maybe people will be less frustrated with the way it's being governed.
Adam Schefter, we appreciate the latest. And Jamel mentioned the contrary opinion. Uh, 11-year NFL vet OZU Minora shared his thoughts on Twitter saying, are players really this dumb? Hate to say it, but come on. Former players have died and are dying horrible deaths because of head trauma. And you're complaining because the league is taking steps to at least try and reduce it? Make it flag football? Ridiculous. Ridiculous is the ejections. But I just hate when you have a 15-yard penalty and it shows oh, that they weren't the illegal game. and now it changes the game. All so. right. Uh, on to some NBA news. The Warriors will be shorthanded tonight against the Hornets, who also won't be at full strength. More on that in a moment. Steph Curry isn't playing for the next two weeks after suffering a nasty ankle injury on Monday. And Draymond Green is questionable against the Hornets because of right shoulder soreness. Now on the other side, the Hornets, they're also dealing with a serious injury issue. The Hornets announced head coach Steve Clifford is taking a leave of absence to address health concerns. There is no timetable for his return. In the meantime, associate head coach Stephen Silas will assume the head coaching responsibilities. Here's Clay Thompson. As a team, it changes our mentality as far as we got to play a little more methodical. We can't just come down and set a drag screen every time. And, you know, he strikes so much fear in the defense by doing that. So now we got to, you know, throw in the post, split cut, get to the back action, and just be more patient with it in the offensive sets and, you know, not get bailed out by number 30 like we usually do, you know, half the time. So Doris Burke's on the call tonight uh, for Warriors Hornet. So the Warriors will tell you, and Bob Myers on record is saying, what we built was initiated by Steph. The offense starts with him. Uh, he says he has the biggest impact, as you heard Clay Thompson just say, on how other teams guard the Warriors. So, Doris, how do you expect the Warriors to look sans Steph Curry? Well, very differently, and Steve Kerr has said this to us often. Regardless of whether Steph is making shots or not, Michael, he attracts so much attention. It goes to Clay's point. He drives everything. The attention he gets frees so many guys up. Quinn Cook, we expect, will get the start. Uh, they won't say that definitively, but that's our expectation. He's got a great opportunity. He arrived in town yesterday. You might think typically Sean Livingston would automatically get the start because he's that next point guard, but they, unless it's the playoffs, like to keep Sean to the high 20 minutes. Mark, so I don't think they want to mess with that side of the rotation. Draymond Green is on the floor, guys, right now, and I was told that he'll test it in warm-ups. I think he's going to play. There is some shoulder soreness. If he doesn't, then you could expect Jordan Bell and Omri Caspi to get more minutes tonight. All right, Doris, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys. And uh, most would agree that KD is the best player on the team, but the engine, everything starts with Steph Curry. And to that point, uh, the Warriors have scored roughly 12 more points per 100 possessions with Curry on the floor than when he sat this season, and they play at a much faster pace when he is on the floor. They missed him for two games so far this season. The Cavs keep on rolling. Cavs playing host of the Kings tonight with the King and company playing great ball, seeking to tie a franchise record with their 13th consecutive win. LeBron says he'll get excited if and when the streak reaches 25. In the meantime, he asked that we not get bored with his 28-point, 8-and-a-half board, 8-dime-a-game brilliance even though it's coming at LeBron's Channing Fry estimated 80%. I could play better, um, you know, but I think right now I'm in a really good groove. Um, but for me, every month I get better and better. That's always I've been, you know, in my career. Um, I get stronger and stronger as the months go on. So, um, you know, I just want to continue to, I want to continue to get better and better every month. This is December, I'm at 80. So January I'll be at 85. I'll be at 90 um, in February. I'll be at 95, um, you know, in March. And then when playoffs start, I'll be at 100 all the way up and hopefully into June. So, um, you know, hopefully I'll continue that. 
<laughs> what are you at today? I'm, I'm, at, I'm at about 60% right 60. now. About, uh, by the end of the show, will you be maybe 75? Yeah. Uh, Dave McMiniman, always 100%. Always. Um, look, Dave, it wasn't that long ago no, that people, not. Uh, not us, but people, were kind of shoveling dirt on the Cavs season, given their kind of slow and rough start. And now they're on the verge of tying a franchise record for consecutive wins. What's been clicking for the Cavs during this streak? Well, I'm going to be one of those guys, I guess, taking LeBron for granted because when I give my answer here, I'm not going to mention LeBron's play, but of course he's near the top of the list. But let's start with the Cavs' three-point shooting. Last 13 games, they've made 10 threes or more, and included in that has been the play of Kevin Love, who's shooting around 40% from three, but he's also working in inside shots. Then you think about Dwayne Wade. Uh, LeBron called him the sixth man of the year recently. He's averaging sixth in the league in points per game off the bench, around 13 a game. Uh, over the last seven games, he's been in double figures. and was great the other night in Chicago, scoring 24 points on 9 for 13 shooting. And then it's the defense, and this is where LeBron comes in. LeBron's individual defense has gotten a lot better, and the Cavs' team defense, that at one point this year, was the worst defensive efficiency in NBA history through 12 games, now has held eight of their last 12 opponents to 45% of the field or worse. And so you put all those things together, the Cavs are looking like a contender once again, and right around the corner, they're going to add their best big man in Tristan Thompson and perhaps their best guard in Isaiah Thomas to the mix. So watch out the rest of the league. The Cavs are back on track. All right. Well, thank you, Dave. We appreciate it. All right. Now into a very serious story impacting the sports world. The wildfires in Los Angeles have understandably had so many worry about safety. Now, UCLA canceled their basketball activities for the day, including their game against Montana, which was scheduled for tonight. UCLA football also canceled canceled their practices today. The Rams also canceled their afternoon practice on Wednesday because of poor air quality. They have not announced their practice plans for the rest of the week ahead of their matchup against Philly on Sunday. The NFL said in a statement to our Sao Paulo Antonio, quote, we are aware of the situation and monitoring the events on the ground. Obviously, we would never put players or fans in danger. We will update the situation as it is warranted, close quote. Okay, uh, Alden Gonzalez is covering the Rams and joins us now. Now, how will the fire impact the Rams' schedule for the rest of the week? Well, Jamel, as you touched on earlier, it has already affected them today, canceling the practice. They did a one-hour walkthrough at a local gymnasium here. But the important one for the Rams is going to be Thursday's practice because that's when they're typically in full pads. If the air quality continues to be bad at their facility by the end of today, then they will just go ahead and practice out of USC. But I can tell you, I was at the Rams facility on Tuesday during an off day. It is a lot better here today than it was yesterday. Yesterday was really ashy. It smelled like a lot of smoke. Um, due to a fire that's in Ventura County that reportedly has burned at least 65,000 acres um, in the area. The sky is a lot more clear today, and Sean McVay sounded a lot more hopeful earlier today that they could just go about their normal week, practice out of the facility um, on Thursday. Now, south of us in Los Angeles, there have been some smaller fires, but at this moment, it is not expected to affect Sunday's game at the Coliseum. Now, 
as of today, you would think you know doing a walkthrough four days before playing against the Eagles would be kind of a detriment to the Rams. But the players actually really liked it. They felt like they got a lot more reps out of this than they normally would have. And it was good for them to get off their feet kind of this late in the season. The Rams' concern at this point is mostly, Jamel, with the victims involved in all of this. The team is trying to partner with the American Red Cross to try to figure something out. They're donating proceeds from a really popular raffle during Sunday's game to victims of these fires and I can tell you the person who has really stepped up for this team has been Johnny Hecker their Pro Bowl punter Tuesday unprompted he went to a local target with his wife who by the way is seven months pregnant and just wanted to help out they loaded up a truck full of supplies they went to a nearby shelter spent like 45 minutes there dropping off supplies interacting with the people that have been affected by all of this as a matter of fact Johnny even told us that at the target there was a guy who was so uh, moved by what they were doing gave him $40 to kind of help them out it kind of brought his wife to tears and it kind of impacted Johnny as well mm, amazing what brings people together all right thank you for your report we appreciate it uh, the Steelers announced a short time ago that linebacker Ryan Shazier who suffered a serious spinal injury in Monday night's game against the Bengals has been transported from Cincinnati to Pittsburgh where he is now receiving medical treatment at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Jeremy Fowler we're a couple of days removed uh, from that seen in Cincinnati. Uh, as best you can tell, how are the players emotionally uh, getting a little bit better, worse as they, as they track uh, the, uh, the process when it comes to Ryan Chazier? Well, Michael, after being in the Steelers facility and in the locker room all day, there's been a mix of optimism and concern. The optimism comes from the select group of players that have spoken personally with Shazier this week. That includes quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, safety Mike Mitchell, and a few others. And they relayed to the rest of the team that Shazier is making progress. He's upbeat and he is positive. All signs signified by him being transported to Pittsburgh tonight. That's all good. But a few players told me privately that there's at least mild concern that they have not heard more concrete updates about Shazier. You know, they hope that it's just a privacy thing on the matter, but they're not hearing much about his inflammation in his spine or his leg movements. They want to hear more, and I think some players are going to go visit him in the coming days to try to get more clarity and to try to cheer him up. Uh, but right now, you know, they just don't know what to think, at least privately. They're hoping for the best. Now, Shazier did have a message sent through Big Ben, go beat Baltimore. That doesn't make it any easier, though, because players are still feeling the after effects of an injury that made it hard to play Monday night against the Bengals. Kevin Durant now having words with, and now they've ejected Kevin Durant and Cousins. They both were going up and jawing at each other, and Kevin Durant's got ejected for the third time this year. And the night's over. I got to be more focused than that. I can't. I got to be more poised. I can't let anybody uh, take me off my game. It's, I've been in the league for too long. We're not composed out there. We're championship team. Warriors real clipper-like lately in terms of their relationship with <laughs> okay, the officials. Right. League high, six ejections. League high, 24 combined technicals and ejections. Lead the league with 18 technicals. So uh, NBA countdowns, Jalen Rose, my brother in the strong hairline club. I'm still sick of people comparing our hairlines, man, but uh, no but he, comparison. But you took yours to another level by growing it out, you know, with that R&B singer, yeah. you know, type no of comparison. I know, right? <laughs> Look how he about to drop an R&B album, don't he, Jamil? Oh, yeah. uh, no comparison, though, when he it comes to. handsome these days. <laughs> no comparison when it comes to uh, NBA knowledge, though, so I defer to you. What's up with the, uh, with the Warriors and their edge when it comes to them getting kicked out of games left and right this year? Initially, a lot of testosterone, Michael and Jamel. What ends up happening is 
you hear what everybody else is saying, that you're going to win the championship regardless of what everybody else does. So you show up at the basketball game, and when you're not up 20 points in the first quarter, you're like, what's going on here? He has the nerve to foul me. You don't get mad at the player that fouls you or gets away with it. You get mad at the officials. And the another thing that I'm seeing from this great championship group who normally handles themselves with great decorum is also in today's game, you can't be as physical with one another. So because of that, now you also take that out on the officials. I think they'll find a way to compose themselves, especially with Steph Curry being out other than Draymond Green, because that's who he is. That's why he's in the NBA, because he has that edge. That's what got him out of Saginaw, Michigan, and now put him in a position to be an all-star level player. So it's really all about playing to your personality. That hasn't been Kevin Durant's personality, as he acknowledged after the previous game. Yeah, for him to be ejected this many times already this, at this early point in the season is just really kind of disconcerting. But in general, when you look across the NBA, not just with the Warriors, it seems to me that more star players in general are getting ejected. Like Anthony, He's refs fed up. Yeah, I mean, Anthony Davis, <laughs> for him to have been a, a guy that's been suspended, uh, something we're not used to seeing from him. Is it just my imagination, Jalen, or do you sense that as well or observe that as you look across the league that more star players are getting ejected? I've had my fair share of technical fouls. I've obviously been ejected from a couple of basketball games, not necessarily proud of either thing. But here's what I will say. When you're a star player, an all-NBA player, a future Hall of Fame level type player, you already getting the calls. So sometimes you can go overboard when you're up 15, they don't give you a call in the fourth quarter, then you get ejected. Or it's the third quarter, it's a two-point game, you don't get a call, and you get ejected. There's levels to how they blow the whistle. There are first five-minute calls, last five-minute calls. There are rookie calls, there are vet calls, yeah, but there are block charge calls. There's so many char- calls in the game of the NBA that can go either way. I think ultimately everybody just has to find a way to compose themselves. Yeah, as in everybody. Ain't this, some of this is on the officials now, too. They seem to have quick whistles and quick triggers. I mean, the official that got into it with Sean Livingston, he went head-to-head with him right. just as much. And they, it seemed like they're just fed up and trying to make the NBA great again in some <laughs> respects and said, you know what, enough <laughs> of all this trash talking. You come correct or you're getting kicked out. That's kind of what it seems like the officials just have a quick temper as well. But also, Michael and Jamel, just think about it like this. The heightened level of information with the number of cameras that are in the arena, the number of television and radio stations that are covering the games internationally, and social media. Mm -hmm. These are human beings also. There's only so much you're going to take from a guy that's barking in your face with hot breath after you've been running (laughs) up and down the court for two hours. So you're going to get in my face and you want to headbutt me, then I got to go home and justify that to the people that are in my circle. (laughs) They got to go to the barbershop too. They got to hit by the way they walk in the barbershop when they go to church. I hear you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jalen. Big news today in college football. Willie Taggart was introduced earlier as the 11th head coach in Florida State history, taking over for Jimbo Fisher, who is now at Texas A&M. Taggart, Florida native, grew up rooting for the Knowles. He returns to his home state after just one season at Oregon. He coached South Florida previously from 2013 to 2016, and he joins us now here on The Six. As I mentioned, you're a Florida native uh, coach. You grew up rooting for Florida State. So what did this day feel like for you uh, to be introduced as their new head coach? It was great. You know, um, uh, being able to take over a place that you always dreamed of, like for me, I, I wanted to play at, at Florida State, and uh, I guess I wasn't good enough, 
I wanted to tell Coach Bob, Coach Bowden, he probably would have had one more national championship if he would have recruited me here. But um, now you grew up um, all my life, my entire family. Just uh, we're all nose fan, and not one of us ever stepped foot on the campus before. And wow! And uh, but that's just was the culture growing up. Uh, you was either Seminole or you're a Gator or you're a Hurricane, and and most of us was nose and. Um, it's funny just how um, you chase your dreams and, and, and you work really hard and, and, and life is crazy, and, but it always tend to um, get us to the place where we, we intend to be and need to be. And um, I go all, all my life wanting to be a no and find myself the head football coach. And I found a way to get in here somehow and uh, really excited to be here. Yeah, Coach, that makes two of us. Growing up in New Orleans, I, I, I came up in a Casey Weldon or, or, or Amp Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, know, yeah. Bar none days. I had Florida State starter jackets and hats. <laughs> in fact, I learned the Notre Dame fight song because they lost at South Bend. What was that, 93? Yeah. Where they lost. So yep. I had to learn that. I lost a bet there. So you and me both grew up uh, rooting for Florida State. But it really went deep with your family because the story is that when you were coaching at South Florida, your family showed up in the game against Florida State in South Florida gear and wouldn't change when you asked them to. So this is really uh, coming full circle for you and your family. Well, I know my brother for sure. He, um, I don't even think he came to the game. You know, he was like, bro, I love you, but I can't go against my nose. I'm like, I thought blood was thicker than water. (laughs) He said, it's not, it's not thicker than a nose. So, um, I knew then it was real. And, uh, um, and um, he didn't get any South Florida gear, that's for sure. <laughs> now, even though your roots obviously run deep um, with Florida State, you faced a lot of criticism from making this move from Oregon mm-hmm. to Florida State after just a year. In fact, uh, mm-hmm. several Ducks players, they called you out on social media for not mm-hmm. being straight with them. Do you worry that other coaches will use this as a way to recruit against you. Well, actually, let me back up first. What's your response to the players yeah. and what they said about you not being straight with them? Let's start there. Uh, oh, I, 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 I disagree with that. I was, I was flat out honest with those guys from the beginning um, and told them everything was going on. And that was really important to me that our guys know and, and, and our AD know. Um, those two, those, our AD and, and our players, um, I had to make sure that they know and um, I told those guys exactly what happened. I, I heard, I heard the, um, the criticism, and I knew it would be criticism. I didn't think it would be necessarily from the players, but um, I got contacted uh, when my agent got contacted from Florida State on Thursday, and, and they told me that there was interested, and I knew there was interested in me. And then I didn't hear from them until Sunday, after or late Sunday night, saying that they wanted to meet with me on Monday morning. That's what I shared with our guys, and that's the way that it was. I didn't talk to anybody until Sunday and, um, and didn't make a decision until Monday. So um, I was totally honest with those guys, told them everything that happened and, and told them how hard it was for me to make that decision, which it was because of our relationship yeah, and, and with we, those players and, um, and, and with, with our AD. I mean, and Mr. Phil Knight, you know, they all did ones and gave me an opportunity, and they were all great and community was great it was just it was just one of those things where um you had to make a decision knowing that there's going to be some criticism right but i think whenever you're um chasing your dreams and goals and situation is just right for you and your family it's kind of hard to give up and 
um, I, I, I'd rather chase my dreams and goals and, and deal with the criticism. Well, I was also reading that your son was big on that. Like he didn't want to leave yeah. Oregon, but but he gave you his blessing and to, said, "Hey, if this is what you want to do, we're going to ride with you." But to Jamel's point, I think you've com- you've uh, been eligible for four bowl games and coached in one. You've had three jobs in 365 days. I think what you were asking was basically, do you think that as great a recruiter as you've proved yourself to be? that other coaches, you concern yourself that other coaches may use uh, the fact that you've moved around a lot and what the players are saying about you telling them, their parents, you take care of them for four years, so on and so forth, that they would use that against you in recruiting at Florida State. No, I think every coach um, goes in and, and, and say that they're recruiting the kid and they're going to take care of him for four years. Um, we all think, think that, and I thought the same thing being at Oregon. Um, not in a million years, I thought, um, Florida State would come open now, and not in a million years I thought they would come looking at me, you know, and have an opportunity to come back here and and um, and work at this great university and be close to home and, and still have a chance to win the national championship. Um, I didn't think that would happen. The timing wasn't necessarily right, and it's never right, especially when you leave. Um, but I would say, um, if you just look at my career, it's all been improvement. It's been yep. going from um, from the bottom up, and we all chase. Uh, we all have goals, and for me, I want to. I want to win a national championship, yeah. and um, yep. and so, so I want to win a national championship. So my career, if you look at my path, that's what it's been going to try to get to that point. And again, I know we had an opportunity to do that at, at Oregon, um, and this was just uh, too good for me and my family personally to give up to be closer to home to a, an environment that I'm I'm, a, I'm accustomed to, and and still have a chance to win a national championship. All right, Coach. Um, that was hard. Well, Sorry. we appreciate it. And, and obviously, special circumstances. Obviously, players are under beholden to different rules, but a coach has an opportunity to take a dream job, and we hope you make your dreams come true in Tallahassee. Thank you for joining us. All right, good luck this season. Uh, Aaron Boone introduced as the 33rd Yankees manager today, says he knows it's all about delivering championships with these Aaron Judge led baby bombers and that he'll be judged on wins and losses, but says he wants to trust the process, even get lost in it. Uh, Yankees gave him a three-year deal with a team option for a fourth. Pretty much just yesterday, he was analyzing the World Series alongside Carl Ravage. All right, so I'm used to the suit and tie thing. I haven't <laughs> seen the uniform in a few years. How does it feel to put a uniform back on? Really great. Um, you know, that's one of the things you miss in the job that I've had, as much fun as I've had, is you do miss putting that uniform on. And, you know, this is the, obviously, first day of that and. It's a good-looking uniform. It's a good-looking uniform. And, uh, Pinstripes fit you well. Yeah, thank you. When you think about being the manager of the Yankees, I mean, the concept is one thing. The reality is another one. What's the sort of the, the preeminent thought in your head, like, this is my job now? What's the thought? Well, I understand the responsibility, and I understand how big it is, but I'm really just trying to focus in on what i got to do to be ready for spring training. And that's starting to build these relationships with players. It's starting to have the collaborative effort with with cash and and the staff when it comes to putting our coaching staff together um i'm kind of just locked in frankly in all the different moving parts that go on in the winter in trying to get our team ready to as as we head down to spring training and then obviously for opening day so whereas i understand the the largeness of the job if you will i am hyper focused on the process of getting ready Consider one of, if not the best teams in the league and co-owners of its best record. Doug Peterson says, truth be told, the Eagles haven't been practicing well the past few weeks. So the Eagles, looking at their time in L.A., 
all together in a hotel preparing for the Rams is something of an unofficial late season training camp. So here's your field of dreams. You step over the third baseline, you go from a baseball field to a football field practice. 25 years I've been covering the Philadelphia Eagles. This is the first time I've ever seen them practice on a baseball field. We're here at Angel Stadium in Anaheim, and the Eagles are practicing for the first time this week, getting ready for the Los Angeles Rams. And this matchup's all about Carson Wentz versus Jared Goff. They're good friends. They share the same agent. But when I asked Carson Wentz, do you want to beat Jared Goff? He said, absolutely. And the one thing the Eagles want to do with Jared Goff is get after him. They don't blitz a lot, 15th in the league, averaging about 24% blitz percentage per game. But they will blitz Jared Goff. All right, uh, USC quarterback Sam Darnold was named first-team All-Pac-12 QB yesterday, edging out Josh Rosen, who led the second team. Darnold and Rosen, both underclassmen, still have decisions to make as far as whether to declare for the NFL draft, but maybe if the two LA QBs over here, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay, discussing their potential, that might help them make a decision. Here's part two of M-Cubed Draft Classified Quarterback Commodities. Look, we know it's all about the quarterbacks. I understand it's the very beginning of the evaluation process right now, but who's the best one? Right now, the best one's Josh Rosen from UCLA. He's playing the best football. I, I thought it was really eye-opening watching the USC game. Sam Darnold has all the intangibles, the toughness, the grit. He's got mobility, and better than I think people give him credit for. And he, he's shown that he can make special throws, and he's so clutch, too, when you need him to step up. Rosen, though, is just what you look for in an NFL quarterback. In the pocket feeling it, going through his progressions quickly, the accuracy, the timing, all of those things. He is artistic throwing the football. And when you see that, it's hard to say, I'm going to take somebody else over him. Now, I think the interview process will be very important. Josh Rosen has some convincing to do. He showed, hey, football is my number one passion. But the improvement with Arnold was significant. To go from where he was early to midseason, from midseason to late, yes. once that offensive line straightened out, once the receivers came on, he really lit it up. I, I still believe wholeheartedly in Sam Darnold, that he's going to be a very good starting quarterback at the next level, and I trust him and his intangibles more than I do with Josh Rose. He should go back for another year. We all agreed he'd be better off going back for another year. Yep. And as a general rule, quarterbacks should if they have the opportunity to at history shows. No question. I mean, Rosen's going to have over 30 starts. He's going to have about, what did I say, 23, 24. Baker Mayfield is going to have about 47, I think, when it's all yeah, said Keep this up. in mind, guys. Baker Mayfield, come draft day, will be 23 years of age. Mm -hmm. Sam Darnold will be 20. He's young, but I think Sam Darnold, another year at UC. Well, because the comparison that will make a lot of people nervous mm -hmm. is Mark Sanchez, who was a kid who came out of USC, who could have gone back. Yep. He went very high. He was on the field starting mm -hmm. week one, and we've all seen what happened. Okay, the name Lamar Jackson never comes up. Should it? It comes up in the discussion when we talk about prospects who have intriguing ability, and he's an athlete. Can he be a wide receiver? Do we see enough as a quarterback, the improvement? Now, he lost some guys, his receivers, his top running back. Bigger numbers. Too. And he got better. And he looked a little bit, when you watch him, were you convinced he could be a winning NFL no, quarterback? He, he showed more poise in the pocket. He was a little bit more patient. I thought a little bit more consistent with his accuracy. But he's still not at a level that is acceptable for using a fir, you know, first, second, third Does round become Terrell on Pryor. a quarterback. Now, yeah. right, are you going to be able to get other usage out of him? He is a special 
special athlete. I mean, you don't see many guys like this. So how can we utilize him and maybe still try to develop him as a quarterback or just use him as a receiver? He will be worked out as a wide receiver. Yes. Okay, and then there's Baker Mayfield. The shortest quarterbacks ever to go in the first round were Manziel and Michael Vick. We don't know exactly where Mayfield will fall on that, but he looks small. There are the -the off-the-field questions, but people love him. He improved so much with his accuracy and ability to hang in the pocket and make his reads. He is one of the more accurate quarterbacks in all of college football. And he has a stronger arm than people give him credit for. I think just because he's small or whatever the reason, everyone says, well, he doesn't have a big arm. Maybe it's the system he's in. This dude can throw the ball downfield. Then there's a quarterback that people generally haven't seen much of because of where he plays. So give me a comparison. Who is Josh Allen? People are going to bring up Carson Wentz and Ben Roethlisberger. I look at Josh Allen as Josh Allen. Nobody wanted him coming out of high school. Nobody wanted him coming out of JUCO. It's like Craig Bowl. And I think he couldn't have turned out to be the best quarterback from this I mean, class. Their losses when he was healthy before the shoulder injury were Iowa, Oregon, and Bo- uh, Boise State. Ten years from now, yes. when we're all sitting here, who will we say, of all the guys we just named, was the best NFL quarterback? Sam Darnold. I'll say Josh Allen. I'll add to his height. I don't have any tattoos, but uh, if I did decide to do it, I would solicit Odell Beckham Jr.'s Look at artist. that detail. So that's Heath Ledger. That's Bob. That's Bob, the honorable right? Robert Nesta Marley you right there. You see that peak of Evander Holyfield? Barack, Mike Lil Tyson. Wayne, just a kind of just a little... How nice little gathering. Is he gonna get on himself? It's almost like you took one of them pictures of like all the, the black airbrush? people in heaven, <laughs> right. or like you know that 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 you right. got in your grandma's house, right? Like they all sitting around like the last Black Supper, <laughs> all the dead famous <laughs> black people, <laughs> and put them on his legs, basically. <laughs> Obviously, Joker notwithstanding, like this is something. You know what else I like about his Instagram account? All jokes aside, is he had uh, he and Tom Brady kind of spliced together, basically saying, "What's the difference?" Right. Probably Tom Brady prays for it. Yeah. Him not uh, Georgia fans though. Been doing some next level trolling. Pettiness is very much alive. This fan is driving around Atlanta replaying the SEC championship game. <laughs> I don't know if that's as good as the guy who woke up his neighbor. Um, he's an Auburn fan, and this is what he had to say to the neighborhood. I just wanted to see if y'all could give us a shout out. So, no! Huh? We beat the dog crap out of this, huh? Well. Wake up! I like that Georgia fan taking it next level. Forget TVs in your whip. TV outside. TV on the See, if I if I were living next to a Michigan fan, I would totally do what that Auburn fan did. <laughs> I would. I wake him up every day, and if I could ride around at a clip of of Michigan State blocking the punt on Michigan, I would do that. All right, before we call it a day, tell the people we had a good day. Well, it was a good day, or is a good day for all of us tennis okay. fans. Um, Serena Williams. She's entered the Australian Open, and if you recall, that's where she won the uh, she won the Australian Open while pregnant with her daughter. So now her daughter's born. She's going back to the Australian uh, Open. This will only be a good sign. Hey, the Great American Baking Show. That's tomorrow night. It'd be a good night to set you to DVR for that show. Aisha Curry and my man Anthony Not Spice. Adam, oh, my goodness. Remember he had him on the show a while back? <laughs> yeah. Thursday at 9 Eastern on ABC. This dude, I'm proud of him. Former Penn State Bears, 9 SBD lineman. Does some work with the Big, Tick, Big Ten Network. Also from the D. From Detroit. That's it. That's the main thing. That's it for the six. NBA countdowns next, followed by Warriors, Hornets. Somebody playing for Golden State. <laughs> we'll see y'all later.